what do you think uh, the greatest danger to the church is? U.S. 2019. Think about it with me. What is the greatest threat to our faith in Jesus Christ? What, what, is, uh, what is it that has the most potential to derail our walk with Jesus Christ? Some folks would say, well, it's got to be secular humanism, because uh, that's the greatest threat to our faith. Uh, astronomer Carl Sagan, kind of the leader uh, of this group for many decades, says this, the universe is all that there is, or ever was, or ever will be. There is no God. Everything in the universe is merely a product of evolution. Other folks would say the greatest danger to the church is New Age thinking. Uh, that's where uh, you get to pick and choose from all the different beliefs and, and ideas, and you kind of fill your own tray and decide what you want your truth to be. Uh, it, it even goes further. Uh, advocates of this would say you actually kind of look inside and find the God within yourself. I don't know about you, Scott, but I looked. <laughs> there is none missing. <laughs> there, there is no God in me uh, apart from Jesus Christ. But anyway, God's everywhere. God is in everything. And what really matters is your own experience, your opinion, because you're going to validate your own truth because all paths lead to God. That's new age in a nutshell. Uh, others would say, no, the greatest threat to the church is false teaching. People who take God's word and bend it and twist it and make it mean what they want it to say. And usually they're leaving out the main thing, which is faith alone in Christ alone, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. Uh, they leave those things out and they focus on their strange little uh, twisted, bent ideas. So let me say clearly, it's not that secular humanism or new age thinking or false teachers aren't dangerous, because they are, but I'm convinced and I believe that Jesus taught that there's actually a threat that's much greater than secular humanism or new age thinking or false teachers. And that's the whole idea of materialism. Materialism is the idea for me to be happy, I gotta have this next new shiny thing. And that's what I gotta have, because I want more stuff. And, and, I, and I have to have the newest and the best, otherwise I'm not gonna be happy. I'm not gonna be content unless I get this next thing. And here's the truth, give me your eyes, most Americans really believe this. And sadly, I would even argue, I think most followers of Jesus have bought into this, this lie. We believe, well, if I could just have uh, this new kind of car, then I'd really be happy. Or I'd be content if I just had this kind of house that was located in this place, maybe on the water or in the woods, but, but then I'd really be content. Or, I would know that I had it made if I could get this amount in my check every time I'm handed my check. Or if I had this amount of money in the bank, then 
then I'd have it made, right? Or if I had a boat that was just five foot longer than my current one, five foot bigger than the one I've got right now, whatever, whatever length it is, I just want five more feet of boat, and wow, would I be one happy person. Or folks like me, if I could just trade in my old Callaway driver, right, Kev? If I could get the new 2019 Titleist driver, and if I could get an extra 10 or 15 yards and keep up with Kevin, I've arrived. That's what I gotta have. I gotta have that. Or some of you, if I could just get rid of my old flip phone and then I could get this new iPhone 8 or 9 or 10, I actually had to look up. I wasn't sure what the latest one is. If I could just get the 10S, then I wouldn't complain any longer, right? Until the next one came out. That's the truth. I'd be okay, but then when the new version comes out, then I gotta have that, okay? Remember me, that here's the tombstone for, for us when we're thinking. Remember me for all the stuff that I accumulated. Here's what Jesus said, Luke 12, verse 15. Watch out. Be on guard for, against all kinds of greed. Here's the point. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possession. Our lives are not about gathering stuff, but here's the truth. Most Americans don't believe that. We think life is about gathering stuff, and the one with the most stuff wins. This morning we're going to get schooled on the subject of materialism. We're going to go to school on the idea of riches and wealth, by one of, if not the richest man in all of history. Told you this earlier. Estimates are he was worth uh, north of $2 trillion. The guy who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon. And, and I'm just telling you, if anybody is an expert on having wealth, money, riches, and being able to buy anything he wanted to do, it would be Solomon. So locate with me on your phone, in your Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to go to school. We're going to get warned. We're going to get taught about wealth, affluence, and the danger of riches by King Solomon. Would you stand with me if you're able? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, slide down to verse 10. We're going to read down through verse 20. Here we go. Read with me if you would, please. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich... Their abundance permits them no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. 
This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again that we get to gather in your church and study your book, the owner's manual, the uh, instruction manual for our life. So Lord, would you help us to pay attention even right now? The truth is, Lord, uh, living in one of the richest nations at the richest time in all of history, this subject is critical for us to understand. And the truth is, Lord, that some of us have allowed riches and money and possessions to become our king. Some of us standing right here in your church, that's the truth, that's our master. So Lord, would you speak really loudly, especially to those of us who are prone to believe the lie that acquiring the latest possession is what life's all about? Would you break through that lie this morning? And Lord, I pray that we'd more than just see that it's not true. Lord, would you show us your alternative? We invite your spirit, Lord, right now, like we do every Sunday, third person of the Trinity to come right now, and in concert with your word, would you come and speak clearly and loudly to each of us right now today? We're listening. We're ready to hear from you. And all the church family at Wallowing Lake said with one united voice, Amen. you can be seated. It's just a warning. That was weak. You almost had to give another run through. Bow your heads again. So if, if you're not more awake next Sunday, you're going to repeat. Okay? There you go. That's life under the sun, right? There we go. This is week number five in our journey through uh, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Solomon is kind of on a journey here. We've learned that. And it's a decades-long journey. He's on a search to see if he can find meaning, satisfaction, and purpose in life apart from the God of the Bible. That's, that's the theme. And his conclusion is this. Life apart from God is empty. Life apart from the God of the Bible is vain and chasing after the wind. And today we're going to see his wisdom and knowledge again about riches, about wealth, about possessions and stuff. And I just want to say this one more time. His wealth was far greater than Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffet. I'm just telling you, add all their money together 
And he's, he's got more money by a factor of 10 than those men combined. So he is the expert on the subject. Plus, he was inspired by God Almighty and his spirit to write this down for us. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you seven realities, we'll call it that, about money, riches, and wealth from Solomon. So I would encourage you, since we are living in the wealthiest nation uh, or at least one of them in all of history at the peak of our riches. I just want you to know, okay, you might not feel wealthy, but from the world's perspective, everybody here, you're rich. If you slept indoors last night, if you've got some food to eat today, you're rich. So that's what you need to understand. So this applies to us. We better get real smart on this subject. Got a place for notes on the back of your bulletin. Here we go. First reality is this. The more money we have, the more money we want. The more you get, the more you desire. Money does not satisfy. Verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless, is vain, is chasing after the wind. Abundance does not bring contentment. I had uh, the opportunity uh, to go and tour the final home of John D. Rockefeller. That's in Ormond Beach, Florida. It's where he lived the last years of his life. Um, and he, he was the guy, I just got to tell you this, he, he took a pile of dimes everywhere he went, and children, and after a while, even adults would come up to him, and he'd pass out dimes. And at the time, probably a dime was worth like five bucks, like in today's value. So everybody wanted the $5 bill when they saw Uncle John arrive. He was America's first billionaire. Anyway, he was asked one time by a reporter, hey, hey you've got a billion dollars. Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And his response is, is really interesting. He says, just a little bit more. How much is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? Just a little bit more. Just got to have a little more. Uh, second reality about money is this. Uh, wealth apart from God is actually a burden. Wealth without the God of the Bible in our lives is really burdensome. There's more and more people who are dependent on your money. Verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Here's what he's saying. When, when you get lots of money and now you're rich, you have more people feeding at your trough, eating at your table, if you will. People who get rich, suddenly now you need a maid to clean the, the big house. You need a gardener to take care of the yard. You need a nanny to watch the children. You need an accountant to watch your money. Are you, are you tracking with me? The more money you have, the more people who you have around you who are consuming the wealth that you have in your life. Okay? So it, it's a burden, and there's more and more people who are dependent on your riches. 
third fact about riches is this. The more money we have, the more we worry about our money. The more money you have, the more you're going to worry about the money that you've been given. Verse 12, here we go. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or whether they eat much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Here's what he, uh, Solomon is explaining to us. Thank you for your eyes. The average laborer, the, the person who's a blue-collar worker working hard all day, earning their pay when they're able to support their family, the average person, when they hit the pillow at the end of the day, they sleep great. They're tired. They worked hard. They can sleep soundly. But Solomon says, I've noticed, the tendency is the rich, they don't sleep well. Why? They're worried about the stock market. They're worried about changes in the tax code. They're worry, worried about China's influence on the economy. They've got all of these things on their brain. And Solomon said, I've realized that in general, rich people don't sleep very well at night. Why? Because they're thinking about their portfolio. They're thinking about their companies. They're thinking about they got to protect what they have. Fourth reality about wealth is this. Riches are uncertain. The riches that you've been given, they aren't for keeps. Right? Matter of fact, it's not unusual to lose what you work so hard for. Verses 13 and 14 say this. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Money and riches are temporary. And we don't usually think of them. No, no, no. This, this is I have. And if our passion is to accumulate more and more money and have as much stuff as possible, here's the point. Uh, We've worked really hard, and now suddenly one bad investment, I've lost it. It's gone. One season of drought, and suddenly the wealth is gone. It disappears in a flash. And the idea is now you've got your sons and daughters involved in the family business, and now it collapses, and now your sons and daughters got nothing. They were involved, they were helping out, and now it's gone, and nobody has anything. It can be gone in, with just one poor and sometimes people lose everything and it wasn't even their fault that's what Solomon's explaining to us fifth fact about riches you can't take it with you you can't take the riches of life are temporary and we can't take it with us verse 15 everyone comes naked from their mother's womb everyone as everyone comes so they depart so you you come into this world naked, you depart this world with nothing to take. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Verse 16, this too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what did they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with frustration, affliction, anger. They're hoarding. It's temporary. And now they're trying to accumulate as much money as possible. 
And then when you die, you can take nothing with us. Got this picture of uh, uh, this hearse, and uh, Dan's going to put it up there for us. There you go. You, you aren't ever going to see one of those. Okay? Or if you do, it's useless because uh, you can't take it with you. The ancient pharaohs in Egypt thought they could take it with them, but really it was the uh, tomb raiders who actually got all their stuff. You can't take it with you. Uh, you leave it all behind. The sixth reality of riches, um, our ability to earn money is a gift from God. Our ability to earn money is a gift from God to be enjoyed. And, and I like this because this is the positive side. Usually, oh, it's bad, it's awful. That's not actually what verse 18 says. Uh, this is what I've observed to be good that is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God's given them, for this is their lot. Question, who gives us the energy to work? What would the answer be? And who gives us the talent and the abilities to nurse or to build or to teach or to whatever your who gives us those talents to be able to work and earn? And the answer is, I may do the work, but God gives me the work to do. That's huge. I may be responsible to actually, but the Lord gives me the work. He's given me the talent. He's given me the energy and the ability to earn a paycheck. Verse 18, very interesting. Life is short. You better make sure you take the time to enjoy the blessings that God showers on us. Isn't that interesting? Make sure that you enjoy all the good stuff that God brings to your life. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, I'm focused on the snow and the ice and the blizzards and not the one who gave me a warm house and boots and snow tires. And he allowed me to earn those with the good job that he's given me. You understand? We focus on the trouble and we forget how blessed we are as God's children. The seventh uh, reality about life and wealth and God's provision is this. Contentment is finding the pleasure and the fulfillment in whatever God has given us. Contentment is huge. And I need to find pleasure and fulfillment in what God has brought my way. Verse 19. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, what's it say? This is a gift of God. We seldom reflect on the days of our lives. God keeps us occupied with gladness of heart. Again, that's the positive side. Take some time. Enjoy the good gifts that God has given you. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10 says this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So you look at that verse and you say, money is bad, right? But look a little closer. What is bad? What is it? It's the love of money. 
Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Making money and the stuff it buys the passion and the priority of my life. That's what Solomon is warning us about here. You understand? It's when, when that becomes what we're chasing after, what we're living for, suddenly now that's a root of all kinds of evil. But I want to go back to verses 19 and 20. He's saying, enjoy the good gifts that the Lord blesses you with. That's good and that's right, and we better be thankful and enjoy all the good gifts that God allows into our lives. But be careful. Here's, here's, here's the other side. If we're not careful, we start loving the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. And that's, that's the balance. Enjoy the good gifts God brings, but if you're not careful, you're going to love the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. I want to close today. We're going to take some time here, so it's not like we're done in five. Okay? just want to make sure you understand it. But I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6 with me, if you would, please. Because uh, uh, Jesus expands on Solomon's advice. Matter of fact, I believe that the Spirit of Christ inspired Solomon to write this down. So it makes sense that they're in concert and uh, they work together with their message. But now he's even going to expand on what Solomon has told us. Uh, Slide down to verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. Here's what Jesus says, red letter, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Um, about a year and a half ago, Denise and I, we toured um, a house and it was an interesting house because the man had died and the house had sat there for a few years and uh, it was chocked full of stuff. Um, I don't think this man threw anything away. Uh, anything that possibly could have any value, uh, he kept. He had multiple boats um, and we asked, well, do any of the boats work? Well, no, they've got holes in them. Um, they've got this problem. So all the boats were useless. Uh, multiple cars. Um, do any of the cars run? No. Uh, a couple of them don't even have engines. But there they are. Uh, had a really nice camper. We talked to, to them about the camper. And he said, no, you wouldn't want to go. The camper's filled with mice. Uh, Thousands of cans uh, of food had been hand-canned, um, spoiled. Because I guess there's an expiration date. You can't just eat that 30 years later. But uh, hundreds of cans of canned food, literally tens of thousands of dollars of stuff you couldn't give away. Matter of fact, they were talking to us. Yeah, we're going to have to get several dumps. We've actually already got it. We've had three dumpsters. They've already come, and, and you couldn't even tell it made it dent. They're going to need lots more dumpsters to come and throw all of this stuff away. Tracking? Verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, 
where thieves do not break in and steal. Treasure in heaven. Think about that. Don't store up for yourselves all the stuff uh, here on earth, but I want you, he says, Jesus says, bank ahead with the first universal bank of King Jesus. Now think with me now, what on earth does that mean? I'd like to bank some things ahead. I'd like some things to matter today that will actually make a difference for all of eternity. Um, what is he telling us? Give me your eyes. I, I believe that Jesus is saying, bank your time, your talent, your treasure in me and my kingdom. Track with me for a moment. I want you to, to bank to invest in my kingdom, Jesus says. Bank your time, your energy, your talents, your skills, your ability, and bank your treasure in my bank. I want you to make regular deposits in my bank because the interest is out of this world. You understand that, right? The interest when you bank in the first universal bank of King Jesus lasts for eternity. It, it makes a lasting, eternal difference. Now, hey Noah, you know if you sit in the front row, you're in great danger, would you? Come on up here, I need you for something. I won't make you eat nasty stuff this time, okay? <laughs> All I really want you to do is to hold on, stand right there, and hold on to that, okay? This is Noah Vanderwall, by the way, everybody. You senior now, Noah? No? Are you? Okay. Good-looking guy, isn't he? There you go. Um, tape measure. You're doing a nice job holding it. Um, uh, Noah is standing there at Genesis 1-1, okay? And I could keep going, but I don't want to die, or at least break something. In front of you. So this represents Revelation 22. Okay? So you got uh, Genesis 1 1 and all the way here to Revelation 22. Now, now think with me just for a moment. This is all of recorded time. Okay? New heaven, new earth right here. In the beginning, God created all of this. Okay. Now, if the Lord gives you 70 years, or 75 years, or 80 years, or 90 years, or maybe even if the Lord blesses you with 100 years on earth, how big of a dent on all of recorded history is your life? Think with me now, okay? So I, I would say, and let's just say we're pretty close, because I'd like to think that, wouldn't you? Amen? Okay. So like we're right in here somewhere, okay? But I think it would just be like the slightest dot in all of recorded history. You understand? And I, and I guess I just want you to let that settle in, okay? If the Lord gives you 70, 80, 90, 100 years, your life is represented by just a little slash. Now here's my point. No? Well done. Thanks for being my holder. Yes. Yes. Kind of like uh, in the football team, the holder. Yes. The prestigious job. Think with me now. One little dot 
My question is, why not leverage your little bitty duct to make an enduring, lasting, eternal difference? Understand? You're only, this is us, okay? And we're just like that little. But Jesus is saying it's possible you can leverage your little and make a lasting, eternal difference in this world. And really, it's all about what are you banking ahead in the first universal bank of King Jesus. He's saying, I, I want you to make a difference. I don't want your life to be over and like, what, what, did, what did Jeff do? Nothing. <laughs> he banked nothing, nothing that really matters. Slide down to the next verse. We're not done. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And I like what Chip Ingram says about this. We're going to say it again. Where your money goes, your heart flows. Where your money goes, your heart flows. I want you to say it with me because it matters. Where your money goes, your heart flows. One more time, I want it to sink in. Where your money goes, your heart flows. Turn and tell your neighbor the same thing. Tell them. Tell them, you need to know this. Okay, now tell them back. And you need to know it too. Yeah. Here's what you need to understand. Give me your eyes. Jesus doesn't need your money. Did you know that? Jesus doesn't need our stuff because he's the king of kings, the lord of lords. He's the creator of the cosmos. He's the one who created everything. He sustains everything. Give me your eyes. You need to understand this. Jesus doesn't need anything from you and me. But what he knows is this. Unless I have your stuff, I don't have your does that make sense? He, he wants our hearts. And unless he has our hearts fully devoted to him, he doesn't have us. In other words, until Jesus has our treasure, he doesn't have our hearts. That's the idea here. Because he doesn't need our stuff. He owns everything. He's not broke. But the idea is where our money goes, our heart flows. So, if you're banking with Jesus and his bank, then he also has your heart. Because wherever your money goes, your heart's following that. It's amazing when you start investing in something, and some of you who've had children in college, suddenly now that university has your allegiance, right? Why? Because you're writing checks. That has my, the same is true when it comes to the first universal bank of Jesus Christ. Where our money goes, our heart flows. Slide down to the next verse, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Nobody can serve two masters. No one can serve both God and money. No one can serve both God and money. I've done this before, I'm going to have you do it again, okay? Because you look like you could use a stretch. Stand up right now. Go ahead. Yeah. 
You do. Okay? Okay? Now look down at your feet right now. Go ahead. You can look at your feet and look at the shoes of the person next to you. Wow, nice shoes, right? Yeah. Okay, here we go. I want with your right foot for you to go right, and with your left foot, I want you to go left. Go. And unless you can do the splits, you cannot. You cannot. I know, I know Brand is trying, but he's really just looking foolish. You cannot go two directions at the same time. Nobody can serve both God and money at the same time. You may have a seat. Here, here's the truth. You probably think you're the exception. Pastor Jeff, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that I can be the lone exception. I can serve God fully and at the same time serve my money, my riches, my possessions as well. And let me tell you, you ready? You're not the exception to Christ's rule. I'm not the exception to the rule. Nobody can serve both, I'll say Jesus, and stuff. Here's the closing question. Who are you serving? Are you serving Jesus? Is he the king? Is he the one that, that has your focus and your passion? Or is the truth, you're thinking, you're letting your money flow more towards your stuff and your possessions and the next thing that you want to buy. And here's the truth. You're either in one direction or you're the other. You cannot do both. And here's the trouble, okay? And I wish this were true. I wish we could say, Right now, Jesus, you're the king, you're the master, you're the Lord. This is for keeps. I'll never struggle with this again. Wouldn't that be great if you could just do it one time and never have to deal with it again? But it's just like a garden. Do we have some gardeners here? Who's here? Gardeners? Over here? Yeah. There's these little things called what? That keep sprouting up. And if you don't deal with the weeds, what happens? They'll, they'll, they'll pretty soon, they'll take over your garden. And I promise you, if we don't regularly deal with where our heart is, weeds will spring up and slowly I got to have this and I really want that and, and I'm missing out. And now this heart that was fully devoted to Jesus suddenly finds itself drifting and now I'm serving money and the stuff that you understand? You got to regularly get in there and look at the weeds and, and pull them out and say, Lord, help me to do some gardening here today in my life. Help me, Lord, to dig in because I realize it's either you, Jesus, and your bank, and I'm using my time, my talent, my treasure towards you, or it's all about money and riches and stuff. Let me say one more time. Jesus doesn't want or really need our money. He's not broke. <laughs> but until he has our treasure, he doesn't really have our hearts. You understand? Until he knows where your money goes, your heart flows. Until he has our treasure, it's all yours. 
really doesn't have your heart. Bow your heads. Let's pray as we close. I could give you just a minute right now. Would you, uh, would you invite the Lord to do some uh, inventory of where you're at in this battle of serving Jesus uh, and letting everything in your life be his. He's the king. He's the master of every penny of your checkbook, of your credit card, he, of, your, of your talents, of the time that you have. Is, is he the king of time, talent, and treasure? Or is it possible that some weeds have sprung up? <laughs> Speak, Lord. We're listening. We need to hear from you. say, Lord, is there any weeds that need pulling? <laughs> any weeds of materialism chasing after stuff that I've allowed to sprout up and begin to choke out my relationship with Jesus? Would you show me, Lord? I'm ready. I'm ready to respond. Is there some possession I got my fingers wrapped around too tightly? Who's the bad boss and the master of my life? Is it fully Jesus? Or is it money? It's either one or the other, Lord. Would you please show us? money flows, your heart goes. It's true. Where's your heart at today? Where's the money flowing that has your heart, your passion? Anybody say as we close, Jesus, you're talking to me. Your book, your spirit is speaking to me right now. And the truth is, with your help, with your strength, I need to pull some weeds some priorities need to be adjusted, Lord. And right now, I'm running back to you. Great news. The Lord is so pleased. He'll be running to meet you right where you're at. And, and once again, as you invite him, Jesus, you be master, Lord, savior of my life. Here's the truth, though. You don't begin investing your time, your talent, your treasure with King Jesus and his bank. If that's not the priority, he doesn't really have your heart. Could be somebody here and you'd say, you know what? I don't think I've ever had Jesus as my king to begin with. 
I don't think I've ever invited Jesus to come and take charge of my life. I don't think I even know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And if that's you here today, I have great news. You can say yes to Jesus right where you're seated. Right, right now, even at home, if you're watching online, you can say yes to Jesus. I'm ready to say, you be my king, my Lord, my master. And you need to know, Jesus being king starts with the gospel. And here's the gospel. The second person of the Trinity willingly left the glory and the splendor of heaven, took on human form, lived a sinless life. Therefore, Jesus uniquely qualifies to be the sinless lamb of God. Jesus shed his blood for my greatest problem and yours for sinners. I believe that, Jesus. That's a fact. I believe, Jesus, you took my place in the grave. Jesus, that is a fact. You did that for me. And I also believe, Jesus, early Sunday morning, you didn't stay dead. You literally, bodily, physically arose from the dead for me. And by faith right now, Jesus, as a choice of my will, I receive you as my king, my lord, my master. Take charge of my life. Take charge of my time, my talent, my treasure. You be my king today. Lord, help us in this fight against money, possessions, materialism. The truth is, Lord, every one of us fight this. For some of us, it's a bigger battle than others. I know that. But Lord, give us victory. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray.